Well, good morning. We're all on a journey, you know. Ellen's on a journey in Berlin. You and I are on a journey here. Um, and I want to talk t- today a little bit about my journey with God. Um, a few weeks ago, we were stuck at home watching church on TV. And uh, my kids asked Nancy and I uh, about how we came to know Christ. And so that gave us a chance to, to tell our kids about you know, how we came to faith and what, 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 what happened. Um, and then that got me to thinking about how long I've been a follower of Christ. Um, I re- remember growing up, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents are both Christians. We went to church every Sunday. In fact, uh, my mom's extended family went to the same church. And so sitting in church, I had my grandparents right behind me and then a cousin, an aunt and uncle, the next to them. And then in front of our family would be another aunt and uncle and um, cousins. And uh, so I grew up in a, in a, a Christian home and a Christian family and, and uh, where, where God was important. Um, and I came to Christ at a young age. I was seven years old. Um, and it was in Sunday school uh, that uh, I accepted Christ. I had a, a kind of a grandmotherly uh, woman who was my Sunday school teacher, and uh, she was a- answering a question from one of the other students about what hell was like. Uh, and uh, I remember from her description that uh, it was a place I didn't want to go. Uh, kind of a scary for a seven-year-old. And so after Sunday school, I, uh, she, she explained that uh, the only way to, to avoid hell was uh, to have Jesus in your heart. And so after Sunday school uh, that day, I asked Christ into my heart. But it wasn't really until uh, our church hired a youth pastor when I got into high school uh, that I really started to understand what being a follower of Christ meant. Uh, and through his influence in my life uh, and investing in me and teaching me, um, I gained a, a better understanding of be- what it means to be a follower. And so uh, I've been following Christ for 41 years. Ah, so you can do the math to figure out how old I am. But, uh, and over that time, I've learned a few things, a few lessons, and I'd like to share those with you today. Lesson number one, um, God loves me. I know that sounds simple, but God has taught me in simple ways because I'm not that smart, so he has to use simple ways to teach me. Um, But think about that. God. The creator of all that is, the sustainer of everything that we see and and experience, loves me. He loves you. It's mind-boggling. John 3.16, we all know the verse. We've probably heard it a thousand times. And maybe it's lost some of its wonder. But listen to it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God loves us so much that he gave his son to die for us. Dads, would you give one of your children for the people in this room? I don't think I could. 
I mean, I think you guys are great, but my kids mean a lot to me. What's more incredible about God's love is that it's not dependent on my goodness. I can't do anything to earn God's love. I think, I think it's in Isaiah that it says, all my righteous acts are like filthy rags. So even the, the righteous things I do are filthy when it comes compared to God. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were once God's enemies, and yet God still sent his son to die for you, to bring you eternal life. Our human expressions of love are often finicky. They are often tied to how we feel about someone. If we get hurt by them or get offended by them, our love for them changes, diminishes. Not with God. I have offended God many times, yet he still loves me. And he gently, lovingly rebukes me and gets me back on the right track. But it still gets better. Romans 8, 38 and 39 say, Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Did you get that? Nothing can separate you from God's love. So to say that, God's love, that God loves me is simple. It's a simple saying. Yes, but it carries a lot of power. The second lesson I've learned is that God is creative. And God, I know, sounds simple. But everything we see, God created. Even the things we can't see, God created. I was sitting on my deck the other day, and I saw the cottonwood seeds floating. And I thought, how awesome is that? That God would design a way for the cottonwood tree to get its seed away from the tree. It'll design some fluff wrapped around the seed, and it just floats there. I, just, I was like, wow, that is awesome, God. And did you know that there are over 60,000 different kinds of trees on the planet? That's a lot of trees. There are over 400,000 different kinds of flowering plants. It's astonishing. And this one really got me. There are over 900,000 different kinds of insects on the planet. That's mind-boggling. They outnumber humans like in the millions to one. It's just crazy. I could, I could keep going on, but you get the idea. God has created a marvelous place for us. And it clearly shows evidence of design 
So to say it all happened by chance, that's foolishness. Lesson three, and this is a hard one to learn. It's hard to wrap our minds around this one. Lesson number three is that God doesn't always prevent bad things from happening. Some have walked away from God because they just couldn't come to grips with the fact that God would allow suffering. One verse uh, I think gets misused a lot um, is uh, Jeremiah 29.11. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. But this verse is not talking about preventing bad things from happening. This verse is part of a letter that God told the prophet Jeremiah to write to the elders of the people of Israel who had been taken captive by the Babylonians. And I'd like to read the letter to you. It says, this is what the Lord says, from verse 4 of chapter 29 through verse 11. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. To Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace of the city and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers you too will prosper. Yet this is what the Lord Almighty says. The God, do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Seventy years they had to endure captivity. That's a long time. God said, get comfortable in Babylon. You're not coming back. You'll be there for 70 years. When bad things happen, it's natural for us to ask why. No one likes to go through tough times. When tragedy strikes, we want to have answers. But I've learned that sometimes there are no answers. It's part of living in a fallen world. Jesus said in John 16.33, In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. This world is marred by sin. It's not how God designed it. He created it to be perfect. But sin entered the world and brought with it a curse. And we have to endure that curse. And because of that, bad things happen. But we can trust that Jesus will take those bad things 
and bring good out of them. And sometimes I wonder if God allows us to go through tough times because of the witness it will bring. I think of Job. God allowed Job to experience some really bad things. And yet, Job's faith was strong. And he was able to praise God even in the suffering. This world is not our home. And if we have hope in Jesus, that should allow us to praise him no matter what we're going through. And I have found that when I go through difficult times, if I focus on Jesus, I have joy. And that joy is evident to those around me. And if they ask why I can have joy, then I get to tell them it's because of Jesus. Lesson number four uh, is God is faithful. And I've learned this lesson in the area of money. Uh, I found God to be very faithful to Nancy and I. And we don't worry about not having enough. Um, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, talk to us about not worrying about things. God knows what we need, and he'll provide those needs. Now, Nancy and I are by no means wealthy, uh, according to the world standards, but our needs have been taken care of. And I've learned to trust that God will provide for us. And God has given us plenty, and it has enabled us to help others. And we have enjoyed that ability to help others. And what I've learned about God's faithfulness is that He pours out His blessings into our hands and into our lives. But we can't receive them unless our hands are open. And He'll pour the blessings into our hands. And some of those blessings fall through our fingers. They spill over to other people. But if we are holding tightly to what God has given us because we're afraid we'll lose it or we're worrying about, worrying about it, if we're holding too tightly, God can't pour anything else in. We've got to have open hands. Malachi 3, chapter 10 is an amazing verse. It's one of my favorites. Um, and I think, uh, from what I've tried to discover, that this is the only place in the Bible where God says this. Maybe it's not, I don't know, but this is the only place I have found in the Bible where God says to test Him. Normally when it says, don't test God, don't put the Lord to the test. But here, God says, test me. And it has to do with giving. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. It's like a challenge. You know? 
God says, I want to bless you. I want to pour out my blessing into your hearts. But give me the tithe that I ask. And I've seen that when we're faithful in that, God does bless us. My grandfather uh, often tell me a story, and as he got older, he told me the story more and more. Um, he had an almond orchard, and he used the money he got from the almond orchard to pay his tithe. And he told me the story that one year there was uh, the cold snap happened, and uh, people were afraid that it was right when the trees were budding, and people were afraid that there would be a frost, and it would freeze the trees, and they would lose their crop. Uh, um, and so everybody was, was worried, but my, my grandfather wasn't worried. Uh, he was trusting in God. And uh, his neighbor across the road, so my grandfather's orchard was on this side of the road, a little county road, one-lane road. If two cars passed, you had to really slow down because there was not enough room across that road. And on the other side, there was his neighbor's. And the night came, and it froze. My neighbor, the neighbor lost his crop. Not one tree in my grandfather's orchard froze. And he would tell me that story. He says, I will always give my tithe. God has been faithful. He has protected me. That's his. I'll give it to him. I had an experience, a God moment, if you will, of his faithfulness. I was part of the building committee for this facility. And I know the others on the building committee could tell you of stories where they saw God's faithfulness work. We could spend hours telling you all the things that God did. But there was a time um, that we were going through a rough patch as a church. People were leaving. Um, and we were raising money to build this facility. And they were saying, when they left, they're like, you know what? We're taking our pledge with us. We're not going to support this building. And we were kind of worried as elders that, you know, all the signs were saying, hey, let's wait. Let's just be, maybe this isn't what God wants us to do. But a little voice in my head was saying, just trust, Jerry. Just trust. Trust me. And I got this picture. I was on my way to an elder meeting. And I got this picture in my head of a movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, where Indiana Jones is looking for the Holy Grail. And the, the image, the scene that came in my mind was Indiana Jones standing at this cave with a chasm in front of him. And he saw this little passage on the other side, and he's like, there is no way I can cross this. It's impossible. And then he says, well, it's a leap of faith. And then you see him stick out his foot, and he steps down. And he lands on a bridge that he couldn't see. And when we, I got to the elder meeting, and I'm like, and over long discussions and prayer, we were all united. We got to move forward with this building. Yeah, we, I don't know. God will provide the funds. And he has provided the funds. It's, it's here. You know? And I know he'll be faithful to provide the funds to pay it off. He'll provide those through us. And he'll provide even more than that so we can add on to this building. Because God is faithful. Another thing I've learned, lesson number five, 
God is a gift giver. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians 12, verse 7 says, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Everybody who follows Christ gets a gift. Sometimes two or three. Your gift is for the common good. It's for other people. Gift giving comes easy to some people. Not for me. I can never seem to find the perfect gift. I remember one Christmas, I was trying real hard to figure out what Nancy wanted for Christmas. Listening, trying to pick up on the clues. And if I asked her, she would say, I, I really don't need anything. Which I've come to understand, guys, is code. For we've been married long enough, you should know what I want. I still don't know what she wants. But I listened, and then one day it happened. I heard her say something about something she would like, and I knew it. I've got it. Perfect. Christmas morning came. I was excited to see her open her gift. But her exuberance was less than I had hoped it would be. She did not seem to be as excited to get a vacuum as I thought she would. Note, husbands, don't buy your wife a vacuum. It does not go over well. But God's gift-giving abilities are much different. They're far better. And he gives each of us a gift for the good of others. Which means you have to use your gift. Others can't enjoy it if you don't use it. I have received gifts that I can do nothing with. They don't really excite me. But God has given me the gift of teaching. And I can get excited about that. And through the use of that gift, I found out that I'm not a classroom kind of teacher. I more like to teach one-on-one. -on -one. I like to sit down with someone... And help them understand Scripture. I, I loved to get in the conversation about the Bible. Wrestle over what God has said. And uh, I remember I was an Awana leader a few years back. And I was responsible for the, the large group time. Uh, when all the kids were together, I'd give them a little Bible lesson. Uh, and uh, occasionally, I would do what I called question night. Uh, and the kids loved this. I, was, I told them that they could ask me anything they wanted to about the Bible. And they came up with some really good questions. They loved the night, but I think I loved it more. Because I got to use my gift. And it, it brought joy to me. And that's the great thing about God's gifts. Is that they not only bring joy to other people when you use them, they bring joy to you when you use them. Now, if you don't know what your gift is, there are gift assessment tests you can take. And I'd love to fix, fix you up with one of those so that you could figure it out. 
And then once you figure it out, use it. If you know what your gift is, use it. It will bring you a ton of joy. Lesson number six. God is patient. First Peter, second Peter, three nine tells about God's patience. Patience is something we all struggle with. None of us enjoys waiting. God doesn't seem to mind waiting, though. Maybe it's because he's not bound by time. He created the concept of time. And his patience has a purpose. And we see that purpose in 2 Peter. Chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is going to wait for all those he knows are going to come to repentance. He patiently waits. But a day is coming as it continues. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. At some point in time, God's patience will run out. And then his judgment will come. But he doesn't give up on us. Some of us have struggled with sinful habits. He's there, waiting for you. He'll gently guide you, help you through maturity. He doesn't give up on us. But it's not going to last forever. So we have to be ready. Which brings me to lesson seven. Since we don't know when God is coming, we must be ready. And knowing God is all that matters. How do we get ready? We place our faith in Christ. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, talk about Paul's journey. And he had everything. Paul had it all, according to the world. But he realized, after he encountered Christ, that it was worthless. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God is based on faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. The world says we all should have this or that, and if we get that, life will be great. Trouble is, we get it, life's not great. Paul had it all. 
but it was worthless. It was garbage compared to knowing Christ. And if you're here today because you think it's something you should do, society says you should come to church, but you really don't know Jesus, you've never surrendered to him, maybe you've tried the options of the world and you've come up empty, maybe you have a house and garage and a storage shed full of everything that the world says will bring you happiness, but it's empty. Maybe try it God's way. And if you'd like, I'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe you're here and you want to know God deeper. Take the next step in your journey. I'd like to talk to you about that too. Because knowing God is all that matters. Let's pray. Father, thank you for walking with me on my journey. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for being patient with me. Thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, help each of us to grow closer to you. Help each of us to know you in a deeper way. Lord, you are all that matters. There is nothing this world can offer that can compare with you. Keep our eyes focused on you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Uh, if you want to chat, I'll be up front here, and maybe some of the other elders can join me. If you need somebody to pray with, uh, we'd love to talk with you about that. Have a great day.